Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Toe Meets Leather podcast. I'm Logan. Here with me today are Andrew and surprising us from way out of town, Artem. We hadn't heard from you in a while. How are things going out in Texas? Howdy. Just uh, quarantining like everybody else. It's been a fun nine or ten months. Ready to be done with that situation. Welcome in the new season. So, do you want to go ahead and give us some of your thoughts on the season? Obviously, we're mainly here to talk about the college football championship. For those of you unfamiliar, Alabama and Ohio State will be playing off. But we haven't really been able to talk to you again for the entire year. So, if you want to kind of give us any thoughts that you had from what you've seen this season, there's been obviously a lot going on in the uh, in the COVID football-related world. I'm still kind of upset that Ohio State was even in uh, the playoff contention. That's my kind of thing for the year. But uh, what it, what topics kind of did you hit on that you want? Do you have anything you want to talk about? Yeah, it, you know, it's been an interesting year, like you said. Uh, wide receiver just won the Heisman a couple minutes ago. We talked about that a little bit. That's unique. Absolutely well-deserving for Devonta Smith. Uh, he made that quarterback look good. Um Excited to, for Bama to get uh, Jalen Waddle hopefully back for the championship game. Just heard that today too. So uh, you know, Bama might be at full power here coming in to, to play Ohio State, um, and we can talk about that in a little bit. I guess the season's been a weird one, right? I kind of thought there wouldn't be a lot of coaches getting fired, a lot of changes being made because it's COVID season and can't really you know make a decision on somebody. It's a bad coach in such a different environment where people are kind of toying with the rules and kind of doing whatever they want. You saw Ohio State spent two months practicing the same 23 plays and then uh, start off the season really hot. Um, and then they found out that apparently those 23 plays are the only ones the only ones they practice because other defenses started shutting them down. And then you had schools like Purdue that instead of doing those you know, two months where they were allowed to practice, they sent all their players home, and then when the conference uh, decided they were going to play, Purdue got everybody back. So Purdue sucked this season, whereas the Ohio States of the world played whatever, five or six games. Um, 100% agree with you. I don't think Ohio State belongs here, not because of uh, a slide of um, on them as a team or the talent that they have or how good they are, but because... You know, I, I spent quite a, bit, a lot of thinking about this, and I heard a lot of different points. The one point I haven't heard is when you put 10, 11, 12 games on film, it's a lot harder for uh, – it's a lot easier for somebody to prepare for you um, than it is when you only have six games and now have played a seventh game. What we saw uh, kind of Ohio State do um, is as soon as that middle linebacker for, for – Clemson got knocked out, you know, they started throwing to the tight end the entire time, and they haven't done that all season. The announcer started talking about it. So, even a program like Clemson wasn't prepared for that sort of situation where they had a, a linebacker who hasn't played a lot, he was a talented, true freshman, get thrown into the spotlight and play against a team that had thrown the tight end pretty much all season. He had like 48 yards or something, three passes before that. So, when you put 10, 11, 12 games on film, you have to find different ways to beat people. And Ohio State really didn't have to do that this season, so it's really not fair almost for the other teams to play them, aside from all the injuries you accumulate, aside from the tiredness of playing the 10, 11 game season. It's the, we, we don't know what you are. You do have the talent. It sounds like you practiced. You got some plays, but 
it's hard to prepare for a team like that. But if anybody can, I believe Nick Saban can. Uh, he does a very good job of preparing, and he's very rarely hit with something that he doesn't adjust mid-game to. Um, but yeah. that kind of sums up the season. You know, there's been a lot of these changes, and people have to adjust to different things, and we've saw, seen coaches get fired for that, even in COVID season. Well, and I mean, I do kind of want to go back to your talk about the coaches, but uh, Ohio State just was unfair on so many levels. The way that the we talked, we covered it last couple of weeks. The way the conference bent over backwards to make sure they got in, um, you know, uh, the way that they had to play less games. So, like you said, that Clemson had less time to prepare. There was all kinds of stuff. We've, we've, I think we're beating a dead horse at this point. But yeah, I, I was kind of interested in the coaches. Uh, we, Andrew and I had talked about it going into the season. We weren't really sure how it went, and I think eventually we ended up setting the over under at like five and a half coaches and it went way over that um i mean as we speak i mean andrew uh we had a new round of firings i don't even think we had a chance to talk about because the holiday season kind of came in i think gus malzahn's finally out was that did we get to talk about that before the last time we talked about it but uh gus malzahn has been fired at auburn um auburn was about to hire a coach there was a revolt (laughs) <laughs> a bunch of people turned the job down, and then Auburn hired a coach. Oh, and did y'all... You were the one who sent me this article. Uh, uh, the, the fact that the governor of West Virginia fired the head coach at Marshall? Yeah. This you... is like three or four year long power struggle between apparently the governor and the head coach at Marshall? Which, with all due respect, I mean, if it's going to happen in a state, West Virginia would be the state, maybe that or Texas. But, like, I was just, like, blown away. I was like, what the heck is going on here? Like, was I, that I one, don't. Was that one of his Doc Holliday's, Doc Holliday's been to a bowl game, like, four out of the last five seasons. They almost won the conference this year. Like, they were undefeated going into that just weird game against Rice that I'm still not 100% certain what happened there. But, I mean, like, was that... And the guy he wants to replace him with is, like, retired for... has been retired for It was years. this guy... It was Pruitt. Not to be confused with Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, but, um... He, he was the guy at Marshall either before Holiday or before the guy before Holiday. Like... What? You've got that firing doesn't make any sense. You've got Louisiana Monroe basically giving up on football and hiring Terry Baum. <laughs> like, I, I get Monroe. Like, you you don't have a lot of money. I get it. You're kind of a smaller program. But, like, if that just doesn't scream, ah, uh, well, fuck it. I don't really know. You know, or the Arizona hire. I, J- Jed Fish? Do what? Who? I didn't know I see that. Yeah, he's, he was uh, he was with the Patriots. He was someone I saw somewhere said he was Josh Rosen's offensive coordinator at UCLA. I mean, they weren't that good. Um, I okay. I have so this is not really college related, but have y'all heard the news or the rumor? I guess that Urban Meyer is going to pick up Jacksonville, and then Jacksonville will uh, draft. Um, the the Ohio State quarterback. No, no, I don't want Trevor to go to the Jets. He deserves so much better than that. <laughs> I don't want wish him to go to the Jets. I mean, they're they're just trying to plug Urban Meyer into different teams now. They haven't acquired their current head coach yet. 
Well, yeah, they did. They just did it today. Oh, really? Oh my. Yeah, Doug Marone's out. I don't see. I don't see Urban as a college coach. Like just everything that I've read about how he runs programs and about what he does, I just don't. And this is where I think we, you know, we could spend a whole episode talking about coaching in the pros versus coaching in college and how different it is and how coaches fit different places. And I, I just, I don't see Urban as an NFL coach. So, question, and maybe I'm just in the dark here. Um, Urban Myers left the past few. Obviously, Ohio State was a different situation. He there was a whole scandal there. But when he left Florida, it was because of quote unquote health problems. Was that just like something he made up, or was that like a legit like he couldn't deal with the pressure? I mean, I I think he actually had legit health issues, if I remember reading. Like he actually had like some kind of heart something or dehydrated. It was that there were. I mean, again, I don't know how bad or anything. Obviously, HIPAA, and you're not going to release medical records and all that, but. He, at least on some level, I do think had some health issues. And honestly, he probably just got tired. I mean, that's the thing we don't realize a lot about these coaches is, you know, they put in 20 hours a day, and if you've been doing that for 20 years, like, the burnout is is there. Yeah, but I guess to Artem's point initially, I'm just shocked. Going back to the original discussion, because I I was getting off the Urban Meyer thing. Uh I'm shocked that like these teams are making these decisions for these big coaching changes in a year where they've lost like a significant portion of their revenue. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how yeah. you can manage yeah. that. That's where I start to think like how much of a house of cards is this entire system? You know, I was reading somewhere Texas fired or didn't fill like 34 positions in the athletic department, but you've got the money to to fire Tom Herman and his staff and then bring in Steve Sarkeesian and a new staff. You know, South Carolina, I, I mean, every school you've seen has had to furlough people, has, you know, not filled open positions. I, I just don't... Uh, it makes me wonder, like, I know that, that, that there's a lot of voodoo accounting going on with college athletic budgets. Like, most of them find a way to show that they don't ever make any money. But... Yeah, is it... <laughs> You know, I, I I can't I can't begin to wrap my head around uh, the financials of that. Like, um, I you know Auburn Auburn's paying Gus Malzahn twenty one million dollars not to coach to, to to not coach. I mean, yeah, Texas is still paying Charlie Strong, I think. Probably. I mean, as, as a fan of a school who had to pay three basketball coaches at one time, I I get it. I mean. I, <laughs> Some of them, they don't even give a chance to establish what they're trying to do. Um, on the Ar- Urban Meyer note, I don't think he's going to make it in the NFL just based off what, how he said people or how his former players have said he has coached them and what kind of a person he is. He doesn't seem like an inspiring type of coach. He seems like an a-hole. And yeah. uh, just, you know, there's been a bunch of them that have come out from Florida, from Ohio State, and they all, have, they all tell the same story, which is the scary part. And if you bring that crap to the NFL – those are grown men making millions of dollars and a lot more than you. They'll smack you in the mouth if you do some of the stuff he did to those guys. So y'all, um, so y'all need to remind that, y'all need to remind me after the season ends. I do want to have a cast about this where we talk about the differences between coaches and that. Because Artem, my next question to you would have been, where do you think Jim Harbaugh fits? Because there's a lot of rumors about him getting sniped by the NFL, but obviously he's been a terrible <laughs> coach at the. 
Well, I don't know if terrible the past few years, but I think Michigan fans would agree, not great coach at the college level. So I think, I think that was just them wishing that he was gone, too, because he just restructured his contract with them, and it was a lot less per year, but it was a lot more... Um, for the incentive buyout stuff, just just like so, Malzahn did, which is why they were filed, <laughs> able to fire Malzahn for less. Well, Auburn also had in gobs of money with certain boots. We can, we can talk about that too. Uh, so Jim Harbaugh's forty nine and twenty two at Michigan. He's got three ten win seasons. The problem is he can't beat Ohio State. <laughs> well, this year he couldn't beat his way out of a paper it. bag. Yeah. yeah, he's gotten like he's gotten worse at it, and that's where you. He's also lost. Four bowl games in a row, um, but no, yeah, it's I, not great. <laughs> I don't, and I don't. I mean, I guess. I mean, he, he had three double digit win seasons with the 49ers before he had a falling out with Jed York, the owner. But I would have figured the Sheen has worn off a little bit at Michigan, especially this year where they were two and four. But I don't know. Uh, it is interesting. So. One of the big interviews, apparently the Titans offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, is interviewing for like every open NFL job right now. So the, the talk radio sports guys have talked about it a lot. And one of the interesting things they were talking about was why did he keep wanting to hire these same guys? As well as a lot of owners and ADs in the college game want to win the press conference. They want to hire the big-time name that, you know, makes a splash, but, I mean, would you, why do you sacrifice that for, you know, hiring the better fit? Uh, I think it's a, it's a decision, you know, you've played OOTP, it's a decision out of the park baseball, for anybody who's not familiar, it's a manager simulator for baseball, there's, at a certain point you make a decision, do you want to make the pick that will potentially keep you where you are or make you worse but bring in more fans and make you more money or do you want to make the pick that'll get you a more success now at college that's not really a decision you mean when the giants owner tells me that i need to sign buster posey to a 10-year extension and offer him 25 million dollars a year is that what you're talking about i i I set this up this is (sighs) i i apologize artem i set this up (laughs) i mean I, i think it has a little bit to do with you know, you hire these same names because they're hopefully good coaches, and just to use the the A and M situation because it's worked out really well for us. In three years, we made it to an Orange Bowl, which we haven't been to a Cotton Bowl since Man- one of Manziel's best seasons. And heck, I, I can't remember before that. I wasn't a fan at that point. I think it was the '90s. So you look at it, and it's it's the you gotta have the perfect mix of ingredients. You gotta have the right coach. You gotta have the right culture. You gotta have the right cap space if you're in the NFL. And all of those have to add up. And sometimes you have a good coach. Uh, who's that guy that was the the head coach of uh, the Giants for a while and is the GM at uh, the Jaguars right now, Andrew? Tom um, Coughlin. Yeah, he's a great fucking coach. But you know, you bring him into a situation, he's not necessarily gonna win you a Super Bowl, but maybe a yeah. restart. And you have a to have Eli Manning. That's the problem. You can do it. Yeah. Um, but you, you have to have Eli Manning for him to win a Super Bowl. Speaking speaking of A and M, I did kind of want to do this. Well, speaking of Eli hold Manning, hold up, hold up, hold up. Did you guys do the COVID justice with uh, uh, Liberty yet? And uh, our old friend uh, Hugh Freeze. No. <laughs> did you see that game? I uh, did. Which one? The Coastal game. Yeah. I think yeah, I think it was Coastal and uh, Liberty yet, or the 
<laughs> he decided to not run in the touchdown and that, <laughs> try to stay out of the Yeah, game. that was an ugly mess. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Couldn't have happened to a better program and a better head coach. Uh, I mean, for the record, I give it two years before Hugh Freeze is a coach at an SEC program. Yep. I could see that. Like, absolutely. I mean, they were, like, his name was thrown around the South Carolina job. Um, his name was kind of thrown around the Vanderbilt job. Those are the only two open SEC jobs, right? Vanderbilt just hired uh, one, of the, one of the 247 um, analysts as a GM type role. Barton Simmons. That's going to be really, really interesting. Because that guy's probably connected to high school stuff all over the country. So, I think they hired him to be, like, their player personnel guy. So, I'm really interested to see. I mean, it's Vanderbilt, so recruiting is going to be tough regardless. But hiring a guy like Simmons, it's kind of like when, um, you remember when the 49ers hired, um, oh, what's his name? The, he had played safety for the Bucks for a long time as their GM. And everyone was like, oh, my God, why would you hire that guy? He's great. <laughs> yeah, like, he had never been a GM, but, like, he's put together a pretty good you know I mean he went to a Super Bowl well there's the analyst uh, Mark Mayock right got hired by the he's Raiders the, he's the Raiders GM yeah which I, you know that's always been my my thought I've, I've talked to a bunch of personal guys and stuff about this is if these draft guys and by extension these 24-7 recruiting guys were so were as good at their job as they thought they were they'd all be working for a program or an NFL team mm-hmm. so and so I think there is also going to be an opening. I don't know how quickly it'll happen. Sorry, I'm taking away. John Lynch. That was his name. There's probably going to be an opening John. at Tennessee shortly. I mean, I, I think there's an investigation. <laughs> um, the Do two you names that I would... last time? There's nobody available. Uh, you, mean they, you mean they should have hired Greg Schiano, who won two Big Ten games at Rutgers? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not being facetious. Like, Schiano's obviously a good coach. Yep. He's done a great job. Uh, I again, I think next year you will see Tennessee, or not next year, but the year after you will see Tennessee head coach Hugh Freeze. That's or like or that. Tennessee head coach um, Billy Napier. The U- uh, uh, Lafayette head coach who turned down Auburn and South Carolina this year. Wow. Um. So, back on the back on the season topics. I mean, so the hot topic of discussion, I guess, right now, just to piss Andrew off, uh, I think, uh, obviously, Texas A&M won their bowl game, so we could talk about that, or we could talk about how the ACC went 0-6, yada, 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 in all their bowl games, which, if I was a younger person, I would be like, the ACC sucks and this is terrible, but... The more I've watched things going on, I, the more I'm like, it just happens sometimes. You just have off years. I think most of those games were decently close, but it's I definitely... Mean, the ACC's arguably been ranked as the second worst P5 just ahead of the Pac-10, or Pac-12. Yeah, I think that at so, this point, that's probably fair. Cause they I just, mean, that's pretty much how it's been looked at. Occasionally, it'll flip-flop with the Big 12, but uh, I mean, it's kind of given in the SEC and then the Big Ten or your 1-2. Is that counting Auburn as part of the conference or not? As part of the SEC? Not Auburn, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, 
this year it did because they were technically a full member, but normally I don't think so. I think even with Notre Dame, you're maybe the three spot. You're not going to go to two. And that's, and that's like a down year for the Big Ten or the Big 12. Yeah. Well, you know, like almost like this year where a two or three loss Oklahoma wins the title. Which, by the way, can we agree that, like, so I don't know how Artem's going to feel because obviously A&M kind of got hosed too, but I feel like Oklahoma probably should have been the fourth team in, right? I mean, especially... I, don't, I honestly don't think it would have mattered. <laughs> I don't think they're good enough to be the fourth team in. I think they're in the exact spot where they should be, maybe five or six. I mean, but... Cincinnati would have been my only argument. Oh, Just yeah. after they played after they played Georgia well. I would have said that too. If you're not going to put A&M, you should have put Cincinnati in because... The, the biggest thing that I had against how they ranked them is not even about Ohio State, which they didn't play enough games to be, be evaluated. It's like when you come into a new job and they're like, hey, you're too new to rate. You're not going to be in the promotion cycle. That's what they should have done to Ohio State. Um, but Notre Dame just got blown out by one of the three teams you were putting in your top four. I understand they beat them earlier that season, but you don't put Notre Dame in after they literally just got blown out. And it's not even by the number one team. Now you're like, hey, we're going to go ahead and put them. Like, it's not even. What's the point? Uh, give Cincinnati a shot who's actually undefeated and didn't lose to anybody. I think that would have been a time to do it. And that's why a lot of people are talking about expanding the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, and then there's also the other discussion about just setting up a separate thing for, like, the P5 and for the other conferences, I guess. Which I, w- I wouldn't be opposed to that either, I guess. I, it would be I- more interesting, certainly. Um, I don't know. You know, you kind of, I think you raise a valid point, but I mean, we've seen that that sometimes teams getting blown out doesn't really matter as much as it probably should. You know, I I always think back to the, and I'm double-checking so I get the year correct, but I want to say it was like 2000 and, was it 2001 Nebraska that just got, yeah, so it was 2001 Nebraska that, was ranked number two, lost 62-36 to to Colorado, did not play in the Big 12 title game, but got to be the number two seed against Miami and just got rocked. (laughs) And everyone was like, wait, hold on, do what now? I think sometimes they just kind of decide these are the teams we want to throw in deal with it. Well, and there is... As much as I think the college program wants to be like, oh no, it's not about the money. Um, yeah, I think they want to no, have the. First they, of all, it's, it's always about the money. They want to have the big name teams and the big name games because they're like nobody's going to want to watch Cincinnati, other than you know the hardcore fans like you, me, and Artem. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. So fuck, that's it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's it's always about the money. By the way, have y'all seen how much the tickets are for the championship game? I bet you they're insane. Well, they're only 2500 so it's not that bad. But... That's not too bad. Oh, hold on. Per Vivid Seats, I can find one for 984 What? Fuck off. Where, where is this game at? Is it uh, Hard Rock ball? Stadium in Miami, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How many people are they really allowing into it? I don't know. I think Florida's got a pretty... Oh, yeah, it's loose. <laughs> Yeah, pretty, which is, which, I mean, hey, I mean, they've had left deaths per capita than New York and California, so, cool story. Y'all, I mean, did y'all see that new story that's going around right now? Which one? 
uh, Nick Saban's daughter accuses Ohio State. Of <laughs> I, saw, I saw that blurb somewhere. <laughs> Wait, okay. I have not seen it. Tell me, tell me the story, Artem. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't read it. I'm just telling you the title. Is this the same Nick Saban's daughter that was arrested for like beating the crap out of one of her sorority sisters? Oh, I didn't hear the full story though. What's the what's the headline? She said, "Okay, she she tweeted, if you're not confident to play, then say it. I call BS on the COVID cases. They're just worried about their quarterback and want him to have more time to heal. If he's hurt, put in your backup. <laughs> you didn't see us postpone the rest of the season to wait for Waddle. Bye. Did somebody else get her account? Jesus. Like, I feel like somebody <laughs> hacked her account, right? Because that's that's. I mean, insane. that's what she'll say. But, I mean, you know what? Own it. Like, just bring the heat. <laughs> it said, Ohio State has informed key parties involved it could be without a position group due to COVID-19 testing and related protocols. Uh, you know. They they scared, Paul! They scared! <laughs> what is this, the oh, fourth God. time they're changing the rules? I, oh, man, I am all in to listen to the Feinbaum show tomorrow. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> Oh, man. This is going to be a mess. Uh, so, I guess with that seal broken off, do we want to talk about the uh, championship game? Um, I do want to talk about the blowout by Ohio State first. Cause, uh, so, obviously, we've kind of covered it. Alabama, Notre Dame, and Alabama won. I don't think anybody's particularly surprised by that if you've watched college football for the past decade or so. Uh, Clemson, Ohio State. So, honestly, I kind of cut it off after Ohio State scored their first touchdown in the second half. But um, Ohio State came out and shocked the world, I guess, uh, beat Clemson down. I I was more surprised, I guess, by the speed that Ohio State showed. It just looked like when they lined up and the when they broke off the line, when they hiked... They were just outpacing everyone else on the field. The running backs, the receivers. It it was just a. Uh, they were moving so fast that Clemson just couldn't keep up. But uh, it must look like they played five less games than everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that might that might play a factor. I mean, uh, Andrew, you're the specialist when it comes to knowledge about offense and defense. Did you see anything in particular? Uh, no. The, a couple of things. Uh, Clemson did not look prepared for Ohio State's tempo, which is really surprising because Clemson's a pretty good tempo team in and of themselves. I mean, you could watch a couple of plays where Clemson wasn't lined up; they weren't ready to set. Like, I don't know if that was so. And I didn't. I forgot about this. Is that Nolan Turner, um, one of Clemson's safeties, missed the first half due to a targeting call, and you wonder how much they missed him making calls on the back end and kind of getting people aligned. You saw Skowski do it a lot too. Uh, the linebacker who was ejected for targeting. So obviously, if you're down both of kind of your your defensive signal callers, that's really going to create issues, especially against the tempo team. Uh, the other one, I can't take credit for this observation. I actually was listening to another podcast, and they were talking about it, and I went back and watched it too just to check it. But Artem kind of hit on the point I think earlier where he talks about if you've only played six games, um, you really probably haven't opened your playbook up a lot. So there's a lot of stuff that may not have shown up on film that you want to do. And apparently one of the things Ohio State did is they started setting the strength of the formation into the boundary a lot, which opens up 
more to the field because most teams are going to try to match you or be one plus to your passing strength. So they would put, say, three receivers into the boundary, one receiver into the field. Clemson would try to match that. and I mean, you're a man short to the field. So you're able to run back to the field and you go watch. And I watched a couple of those Trey Sermon long runs. And, you know, I mean, he was 15 yards down the field before anybody touched him. Okay. Well, Artem, what did you see? Andrew kind of hit it on the head. Uh, you know, it was fresh, fresh offense, fresh defense. One of the things that really surprised me, and I guess it could be due to the how, how fresh their players were, but um, I didn't expect the defensive line of Ohio State to dominate the way they did. Um, I think that's one of the reasons they were able to take the upper hand and uh, keep the game away from Clemson. Uh, that was probably the best offensive line since the first game that they played against Notre Dame. Uh, that they've they've had to fight all season. You, we saw ETN get almost no running room, which that hasn't happened to them in a long time. Um, that was very surprising to me. Um, I'm, I'm more looking. Um, I think Ohio's offense um, isn't a question to me. I think there's still things that they haven't done this season that they're going to put on the field and put on the film. Uh, starting with the the, the playoff, they're going to have some really creative plays they haven't had a chance to do. They're going to bust out. Uh, I probably expect at least one trick play, honestly, just to keep Saban on his toes. Uh, but I'm more looking to the Ohio State defense and how that defensive line is going to be able to uh, move the offensive line of Alabama around. I think that's the biggest thing in this game is if the Ohio State D-line can stop Najee Harris from picking up yards like they did with the ETN, um, they'll force Mac Jones to, to throw the ball a lot more and will kind of hopefully get to see how Mac Jones operates. The thing that, that I haven't really enjoyed in college football in the recent years has been the Baker Mayfields, the Kyler Murrays, the Spencer Rattlers. You can see where I'm going with that offense. The Some, some of Ohio State teams, especially in the first couple games, and then Mac Jones this season, they, these wide receivers are so fast compared to the, the defense that they're putting out there, and the, the D-line isn't able to get pressure that – you can't really tell how good a quarterback is until they're almost in the NFL and they're sucking because for the first time they're facing talent of equal measure. Um, that's kind of what I'm looking to see, uh, and I'll be interested, is if the Ohio State D-line can get some pressure on Matt Jones, can Matt Jones perform in those situations? Will they be able to stop Najee Harris? And honestly, I think if they can't stop Najee Harris, then uh, Alabama's going to take this one. Well, And I was actually talking about the Ohio State defense uh, with my dad when we were going back over that Clemson game, uh, the the semifinal with Clemson. Because Lawrence looked like he, I don't know if it was just not enough tape or maybe there was something off. It looked like he was not familiar with that defense and he wasn't like making the reads as well as he normally did on offense. My dad brought up the point, and I don't know if either of y'all would agree with this, he felt that Lawrence was probably had his future contract on his mind more so than the game at hand. Because, uh, you know, he's been there. He's won the championship. So he's probably thinking, I would rather avoid taking a hit like what I just saw happen with uh, the Ohio State quarterback and just, you know, make sure I make as much money as possible going into the NFL next year. But I don't know if y'all – if. Uh, you agree with that, Artem? I don't know if what your thoughts are watching uh, Trevor Lawrence out there. 
I get a little bit of that feeling, like, you, hey, you've been there, but I think I got it a lot more towards the end of the game when the game was, you know, four minutes left and he was down three touchdowns and they weren't successful at moving the ball around. But before that, I felt that he was trying. Uh, I think they were really missing their offensive coordinator, um, not having him there for whatever reason. It sounded like it was COVID, but some other stuff came out a little bit later that he might be looking for a new job. Um I think that was the the biggest factor is they they couldn't uh, keep up the same level of offense and creativity and they became too predictable with whoever was uh, taking over those duties. Uh, I think Trevor Lawrence actually tried up until the very end when the game was pretty much out of hand. Yeah, I think Artem kind of hits on it. You know, you can watch the game and and it's kind of disjointed. And I think not having your offensive play caller is going to give you something of that where... A lot of times guys will kind of have in their head what they want to do. You know, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that, and, and try to build on it. Um, and you just didn't really see any of that. You know, there's just kind of a, some confusion going around. And, uh, you know, the other the other side, and this is, I think I think Alabama's kind of run into this to an extent, and, and Clemson, even Ohio State, is the teams that don't really get challenged a lot. Uh, you know, I think that they can, not necessarily a weakness, but, you know, they always say everyone's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth. You know, and these teams had, had had some, you know, the Ohio State-Indiana game, Clemson losing Notre Dame. I mean, Alabama, arguably the Ole Miss game, the first quarter against Georgia. I mean, some adversity, but, you know, I'm just not sure Clemson really plays a lot of teams that can line up man for man and really match them athletically. And I think this was one of those games where they're like, oh, shit. Yeah, I mean, there is there is a lot to be said. Um, we've seen in the past probably three or four years that there's just what it tends to be is there's two or three teams that are just above everybody else. So when you finally line up in the championship game, uh, it's kind of a make-or-break moment when you find out, like, can I keep up with this other team across the way? Because everybody else is going to be chump change. I mean, whether you want to admit it or not. I mean... Uh, Obviously, Clemson had a tough time with Notre Dame and I guess arguably with uh, Boston College, but those were th- without Trevor Lawrence, so that's kind of a big difference. Uh, so, yeah, I guess moving on to the actual championship game, I think Artem's already kind of touched on He probably thinks Alabama's going to walk away with it. Uh, Andrew, what did you say the over-under was? It's like 74 points? 75. Is that realistic? <laughs> With these two teams, asking you. I mean, hypothetically, yeah, I think so. You know, I, I feel like I say this every year, but this is the best offense Nick Saban's had in a long time. Um, obviously, the Ohio State offense has a lot of weapons, can do a lot of stuff. Uh, it's possible. Um, I think I think games themselves trend more offensively in the past couple of years, anyway. So, and I think you know, you talk about selling tickets and. You know, driving interest. Obviously, a a fifty something to fifty something game is going to be more exciting to most people. Yeah, I mean, Artem, we were kind of touching on this before you got on the line, talking about the way that college football is trending. I think in more of a offensive minded fashion, where we're probably going to be seeing, especially in the SEC, which has traditionally been a defensive conference. A lot more scoring. I think that's the focus on coaching. Uh, do you do you see a way the, to combat that, or do you are you kind of like okay with the way that this is trending? I think for college football. 
I've kind of had a little bit of chance to reflect on this. I don't think it's a trend necessarily. I think it's an evolution. What I've kind of witnessed over the last 10, 15 years is you've had these traditional powerhouses that used to be these you know, big offensive linemen come in and push you around and they'll run the ball down your throat for 200 rushing yards and then all of a sudden you look up and you're like, oh crap, we're out of time. They scored, you know, three or four touchdowns max, but we barely had the ball at all. Uh, it's kind of it's almost exactly what Jimbo's doing at A&M now. And I think what, what you've learned from that is you get consistency, you, you can evolve, and then if you can stay up there using this scheme where you're running the ball a lot and you're this tough team who keeps the ball away from other people, you'll eventually get to where Alabama is. If you're able to recruit at a high level, you're bringing in what you already had this big line. You had a good defense. You're able to win both sides of that ball, but now you have five-star, four-three, four-four wide receivers running down the field. So now you don't have to always run the ball. You can throw the ball, you know, five times, get five touchdowns, and then you run the ball a little bit for the rest of the game. And that's kind of what you saw Alabama do uh, at the end of their game against Notre Dame. When the game, like the game, doesn't look like it was that bad because Notre Dame got a touchdown at the end there, and I don't think they scored for a while, uh, even their their first one. But what you saw was Saban just took his pedal off the gas and was like, "All right, well, let's just run the ball and run this clock out because we don't want to get injured in this game. We've already beaten them; they can't come back on us." Um, so what what I'm trying to say is, you had Alabama build from this tough team to become what they are now. I think. Teams can't come in and automatically do what Alabama's doing because they don't have that recruiting, that talent depth that they built up. You saw an example of that at Mississippi State this season where you had the Pirate come in and he put up, what, 45 or 43 or something on LSU in the first game of the season, and that was their highest scoring total. Everybody figured out their offense, and they couldn't do anything because the guys that uh, he has running at wide receiver are white dudes who are kind of slow. They're running around, and they're stopping in space, and you can defend that easily if you know what they're doing. So I think you can see at Oklahoma doing this. You can see Ohio State kind of doing the same thing. Alabama, they've had the traditional kind of blue-chip players, uh, five stars that already came there, and now they're able to attract that new talent that adds this new element. But I think it's hard to get there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of development that goes into that kind of buildup. And I, but I think that's also why... You know, we're seeing it more in the SEC than we are successful, or sorry, rather, seeing it more successfully in the SEC than we are at other programs who are trying to replicate that kind of uh, strategy just because they have the resources, they have the recruiting, um, they have the coaching in some cases. I mean, I still don't know what Tennessee's doing, but uh, yeah, I, I'd say that that's probably uh, going to play into it. Uh, I do kind of want to go back. Sorry, I mean, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place. I want to go back to our kind of earlier discussion about expanding the playoffs because right now we're talking about how, you know, the Power Five is developing into like this high-scoring kind of offense. But uh, we saw from the playoff committee this year that they really have no intention of letting Cincinnati in uh, or probably any real uh, non-Power Five team, uh, I'm guessing. Do which way would y'all rather see it go? I'll start with Andrew. Do you want to see an expanded playoff um, with the potential of having a non-Power 5 team in, or would you rather see a playoff for the Power 5 and a playoff for the non-Power 5? 
In my opinion, I think we're going to see a split. I think you're going to see a full, much like we saw in the 70s where you went, um, was originally A and 1AA is now FBS and FCS. I think you're going to see, uh, and you know, you know what, I'm going to be completely wild because I think this is where we're trending. I think you're going to see a couple of splits. I think football is going to break off by itself. Um, because, I mean, football is what drives everything, well, and I think that's going to be a part of it. It does seem like, sorry to cut in, it seems like there's and, only, there's two main revenue streams. It's March Madness and football season. It's not even like all of college basketball, just March and, Madness and college football. No, but even then, uh, and, and this is what I always found fascinating, even at a school like Duke or... Carolina or Kentucky, even when like their programs are high flying in basketball, they don't touch football revenue. It's not even close. Like, and these are the premier basketball co- co- uh, programs in the country, and their revenues—I mean, they're better than most, but they still don't touch football. Especially at a school like Duke, where football is usually not very good, uh, the revenue there is incredible. I think the other split you're going to do is I think, and I'm not sure if the best way to phrase this. But I think you're eventually going to get the schools that make the money tired of dragging along the schools that don't. And I think that's going to be an interesting split because I think you're going to see a complete conference reach reset because the Clemsons and the Georgias, Alabamas, Texas A&Ms are going to sit here and be angry about why are we giving Vanderbilt money? Why are we giving Arkansas money? Why are we giving Georgia Tech money? Why are we giving Arkansas money? And and I think that's going to be a reckoning that's, that's, you know, and it may not be five years down the road, but I think that's a reckoning we're on some level headed for. I think the ACC saw it to an extent when they brought in Miami, Virginia Tech, and Boston College versus, say, Miami, Boston College, and, and UConn. I think that there was some chattering behind the scenes between, say, Florida State, Clemson, and, you know, I'll throw it out there, Georgia Tech, who's a bit more normally a football-focused school who wanted some football prowess brought into the conference. I absolutely think it's why you saw Louisville come in. Um, Louisville was flying high football-wise under Charlie Strong and got brought in because they were a good football program. But I think that's going to be a fascinating split is if you see the big-money programs go, well, wait a minute, I mean, and you only have to look at Notre Dame. I mean, look at the amount of money Notre Dame makes that they don't have. Now, this year's different, again, obviously, because they were in the ACC officially. But, I mean, just the gobs of money Notre Dame makes that they don't have to share with anyone. Well, and it is interesting that you bring up the conference realignment where there was a huge debate on the sports radio up here, North Carolina, the founding of the ACC. Uh, this week, since the ACC went 0-6, where a lot of sports writers were like, oh, this is why we shouldn't have become a football conference, blah, 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 blah. We're not very good. And it's like, it's not about how good you Does are. Doesn't matter. It makes you a shit ton of money. That's all it's about. Um, I actually uh, Also, my no, hot take right. is if the SEC poaches from the ACC, the two teams they will look at will be North Carolina State and Virginia Tech. Anyway, Artem, what were, what were you about to say? Sorry. Yeah, I, I guess I disagree a little bit, and the only reason I disagree is 
uh, I don't necessarily disagree with what you said, but I think there's a history of what you said already happening. That's why A&M, we hated being in the Big 12 when we were there. You had Oklahoma and Texas poaching most of the revenue money. So then we came over to uh, to the SEC with Mizzou, and what you're seeing is those, like we, too, as the schools, are happy because you get the same amount of money. Uh, you're still... Um, getting the same value that a different school is towards your other academics and then especially in the sec you see vanderbilt carry the school and uh or the conference in uh, baseball you see kentucky kind of carry it in basketball so i know like you mentioned there's uh there's not a lot of money to be made in those other sports but there is a branding that's there and if you're winning in all three sports kind of like what you saw at alabama last year alabama's all of a sudden recruiting these good kids to play basketball what? Because <laughs> they've Maybe tapped that, into the bag, man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? You're able to, you're able to get those sports, and then those sports put you on the map even more. Like, hey, you can come to Alabama and you can play basketball and football, and now you're making, you're doubling up on your money that you're making in football, and kind of what Nick Saban's doing now. What they were uh, saying that he might hire, um, what's his face, the Jazz head coach that got fired, Adam Gates. Um, oh. It's genius, right? Like, there's not a lot. He might. I don't know if he's bad. I don't know if he's really bad. He seems like he's not a bad coach. Just things aren't adding up over there. But he comes down to Alabama, and even if he is bad, you can't do that bad with the talent they have down there. And now you're you, you as Nick Saban. Even if this guy's terrible, you can let go of him next year, and you can tell all your kids, hey, uh, all the coaches that we're bringing down here, they've been in the NFL. So if you want to be coached by NFL people, like it, it just adds up and all doubles up. I think. Money makes more money, and I think being greedy in this space actually makes you less money because you end up only playing in the big schools, and you end up losing. And this beating Alabama beating up on the cupcakes um, is actually provides them a lot of value. That is is uh, you know when Nick Saban's gone, you never know that might go away very quickly. Yeah. Uh, I think you, you did make some valued points. I do want to point out something though. Talking about athletic departments, um, there's something called the Learfield IMG Directors Cup. Um, that's handed out every year um, on a point system. Um, and it's for your whole athletic program. So you get points for football, for basketball, for swimming, for lacrosse, for equestrian, for all of those. So the cup has been given out every year since 1993-1994. Only two teams have ever won the Learfield IMG Cup. North Carolina won it the first year it was handed out. Stanford has won it every single year since <laughs> so i get you talking about the big three and baseball to me is a big three growing up in the south baseball is a sport but you talk to the big 10 it's hockey you talk to some of the other schools it's it's another sport women's basketball at tennessee or at uconn or at that and i i do unfortunately i think that as much value as they do add eventually your football programs are going to be like well wait a minute why do we have to? Which then you get into Title IX issues and it gets way more complicated. But Also, uh, your funny story about leaving the Big 12. I think it's funny that Nebraska left the Big 12 because they got tired of Texas, so they joined the Big 10, where now they get to get tired of Ohio State. <laughs> that is pretty funny. Like, uh, Which, again, I could do a whole podcast on why I think leaving the Big 12 was a terrible decision for Nebraska. But yeah, I also feel story. that... I feel I feel the exact same way about Colorado leaving for the Pac-12. Uh, there was a story a couple weeks ago where they were like, "Hey, Nebraska, 
pretty much like Ohio State was the only school in the Big Ten that was like, just hey, let's start this season or we're going to lose all this uh, uh, capital, all these recruits. Like, there's some long term play here that needs to happen for the season to keep going. Uh, and Nebraska was the only other school who was like, yeah, Big Ten, get your shit together. Like, <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure Nebraska threatened to sue and was basically like, you know what, Big Ten, we're not going to play a season. We're going to go find people that will play us because we want to play football. I think that was yeah. a discussion, right? Yeah, they, they threatened. Like they threatened multiple times. Be like, Big Ten, get your shit together or we're going to go figure this out ourselves. <laughs> so and would they go like zero and six or something? Stupid? Yeah, Nebraska was terrible this year. Which, again, uh, so, Logan, I wanted to jump back real quick to something. Go for it. So we were talking about coaching changes. And I'm looking at the numbers currently. Currently, there have been 13 FBS head coaching changes this season. Looking over the past 11 years, that would be the lowest number of coaching changes in a season. The next lowest is 15 in 2014. The most was 29 in 2015. Okay, so not as much as we thought it would be. So I think that's the thing is I think we're getting caught up in seeing it because we didn't expect any. And when really, in reality, it's a significantly smaller number. And again, it's including jobs that I thought would open, like Tennessee possibly, Scott Frost at Nebraska. Well, um, well I think it's also, and I, I mean... Lovey Smith finally got fired at Illinois. <laughs> I think part of it is also because of the numbers that are getting thrown around, but you got to keep in mind, tying into your argument, our Andrew... Most of those numbers are getting thrown around because it's the programs that can afford to throw it around. I don't. I'm not saying Auburn should have paid off all that money. Uh, I want to fire Gus for ever yeah, since they I, lost that national title to Florida State. But I am saying that if a program can afford to do it, Auburn is probably one of those programs. That, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. like Texas, Texas has more money. That might be Texas's problem is they have more money they know what to do with. They got too many hands in the cookie jar. Yeah, I think that definitely. Well, Auburn's got that. Auburn's got that. Auburn's got that. Well, 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 Auburn's got that same issue. Do we? We need. Okay, so I'm trying to make a list of all the podcasts we need to do. Tennessee, to an extent. So coaching in the college and pros. What the fuck is up with Texas? And talk about where they get their money and stuff, because a lot of people don't realize the school doesn't actually pay for these coaches. No, it's booster programs. It's it's athletic departments. It's. Yeah, so one of the fun things you can do in Georgia is Georgia has open records, a lot of open records laws. So you can go look up how much the state of Georgia paid Kirby Smart. A lot. And it's only like $400,000. <sighs> anyway. It's still more than it should be. So. I bet you we can do this like after the season. Uh, did you know that Kirby Sunday? Smart has the same record after five years that Mark Rick did at Georgia? Yep. Yep. Just want to point that out. I, th- I think same records after February because that's when signed. No, who else? Kirby Smart ran off from Georgia. Uh, quarterback named Justin Fields. I'm just scared of what's going to happen once uh, Nick Saban retires. This, that means like Kirby Smart could actually win a thing. So the one thing that I do like about well, I like a lot of things about Alabama. Well, um, uh, before we before we do that, I gotta say. Do, before we say that, I gotta be like Artem. You're my only hope. You, Texas A&M. Once Saban retires, they gotta win all the championships. That's what's gonna happen. Oh, it's not Georgia. <laughs> anyway, sorry, uh, Andrew. We're close, we're... Man. we're close. <laughs> and I think I think A&M's done this to an extent too. 
and again, it's my issues with Texas and Auburn and other places, and Clemson, I think, has done well. The boosters can give all the money they want, but they really just need to give the money and get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what Saban's done. That's what Jimbo's done. That's what Dabo's done. I think that a lot of these programs that have gobs and gobs and gobs of money, but then these boosters want to get involved, or, you know, in the case of Marshall, the governor fires the head coach. <laughs> well, you know, when you know Jimbo's contract is like, if, uh, if he decides tomorrow that he wakes up and he's like, fuck it, I don't want to be here, he can leave and they don't. We don't know him. We still owe him some money, actually, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be some kind of buyout. No, 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 there's no buyout. That's part of his contract. Huh. There's got to be some kind of offsetting something for him there. Well, I guess guess the key thing, and kind of like... 75 million. (laughs) Only 75 million. made a lot of money. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, to, to the point where... I don't know this about all the programs, but I think Saban's done the bare minimum that is required of him as far as socializing but i think he has a very political mindset which is something that you don't really see with a lot of these other coaches where they come into their program they're like i just want to be a coach i just want to do this xyz saban kind of knows how to play a crowd you know for as quiet as he is i mean he's got kind of a bill belichick mindset but in a way belichick guy yeah, but in a way that kind of helps you because you know you're not going to say anything that pisses anybody off, but you're also not going to like win. But you're also not going to win over maybe the whole crowd. But it'd be enough to get in and be like, "Yeah, don't worry about it. I got it." And then like they'll let you do your own thing. And if you prove yourself, well, and, and he's proven it. <laughs> yeah, if you prove yourself, that's all you need. But I think a lot I, of I, I think a lot of coaches end up getting in fights kind of with their own boosters because they just want to run their fucking program and they don't want to deal with anybody. Uh, that seems to be a big yeah, thing. I mean, at the a lot of guys, a lot of guys just want to coach ball. And yeah. you know, I go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say. I mean, I think I think that's uh, I think that dives into and we can kind of talk about this in our college versus NFL head coaching discussion. I think that the job of head coach in both the NFL and in the college game is, I don't know if it's fundamentally different, but it is incredibly different than being a successful coordinator. And I think we at times have gotten locked into this idea of good position coach becomes good coordinator, becomes good head coach, which has worked, obviously, with guys it's worked. But I, I think at times we get too caught in that and maybe we need to be, all right, let's look at this guy as the whole package. You know, again, a guy like Debo Swinney, who had never been a coordinator and has been so incredibly successful at Clemson. I think you're also seeing the, and this is unfair, I don't want to say bad things about Debo, but I think you're also seeing kind of the, the push of the, the quote-unquote CEO model where your head coach comes in, does recruiting, does boosters, does all of that, but isn't necessarily like the X's and O's guru, but is able to hire good coordinators. I think Dabo's done that. I think Mac Brown at North Carolina has been a perfect example of that. Hmm. So kind of like a GM coach kind of situation. Kind of, yeah. Basically, you come in and you kind of handle everything, but you know, you don't necessarily get down in the weeds of, all right, you know, we're playing... 
Missouri, or, you know, do we need to play a lot of man? Do we need to play a lot of cover two? Where do we need to set the three tech? You know, what are they going to do? Play You know, you don't necessarily get down in the weeds of all of that. You trust and let your coordinators do that. Hmm. Well, uh, there's obviously a lot more discussion to be had here. Uh, we are kind of coming to the end of our hour. We probably need to start wrapping things up. Uh, Arm, do you have anything else you want to talk about on the coaching discussion? I do have a few other topics we want to go over. Nope. All right, then. Let's. We obviously already talked about the championship. Artem, you said you're pretty confident Bama will walk away with it as long as they can overcome Ohio State's defense. Andrew, I never got a official answer out of you. I assume you're... I... My concern is if Ohio State can do what Ole Miss did, which is just match Alabama shot for shot. And the biggest thing that helped Ole Miss was being able to play so up-tempo. And we saw some of that from Ohio State a little bit um, against Clemson. Ohio State also really utilized the tight ends against Clemson, which is somewhere that Alabama has actually struggled a little bit this year, uh, to say if they struggled at all. So I, I think it'll be high scoring, and I think it's going to be close. I don't think Alabama will cover, but I do think they'll win the game. I will, for hopefully none of my family is listening, I will actually pick Ohio State. I think they have a edge in the fact that there's just not a lot to scout on them and that maybe the Fields injury will play a factor. Um, I think he's, I don't think it's as bad as people are making it out to be. And if it's cracked, if it's beyond, if it's broken ribs, then we got a whole other issue. But, um, I think, uh, the way I saw them move and the up-tempo speed, I just, this Bama defense is good, but it's not as good as it has been the past few years. And I do think that they can take advantage of a few things. It'll be a shootout. And I do think that kind of because of the way the season played out where there just wasn't a lot to scout. I do think that Ohio State will end up walking away in a close matchup. Um, so other topic I wanted to cover. Heisman Heisman got handed out today. Um, Devontae Smith walked away with it. Uh, Andrew, was that the right person to kind of end up with the award? Well, yes. Of the people available. Except that I still feel that Don Harris got got robbed. Um, he's also the first wide receiver to win the Heisman since, I, I mean, technically Charles Woodson, but he was a defensive back. And then you've got to get to Desmond Howard in 1991 for a primary wide receiver. Uh, he does break the four-in-a-row uh, quarterback. So that's kind of cool. I mean, that's something. I mean, Artem, I guess, same question to you. Do you feel like that's the right uh, option given that uh, he was the right winner given the options you had available? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's the most deserving person to win the Heisman since Lamar Jackson. Um, Personal opinion that is not a slide on anybody. I, I don't think Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield should have won it their year they were system quarterbacks and threw to wide open guys um you know the fact that they did win it back to back playing in the same system for the same coach in the same offense uh kind of shows you it was a system um i i feel like the quarterbacks at that school have uh 
haven't shown that they're, they're game changers, which is a Heisman is supposed to be. It's supposed to be the guy that you can't cover, the guy that can do everything. And we kind of saw the fact that, the the fact that Indomitian Sue didn't win it shows that that's all a joke. Yeah, and like, like I'm saying, it's it's a it's an award where people vote, so that's how it's going to be. Just like the college playoff, it's a bunch of dudes in a room or people. I don't know if there's any women this year uh, in a room vote on the four schools. It's the same stuff. So opinion wise, I think Lamar Jackson was the last Heisman that I saw that actually had to make plays for his team to be in the spot where they were. Louisville was pretty much nothing before Lamar Jackson. The the couple years before that, and then he appeared on the scene, and Louisville was different. And now he's gone, and they're completely different. Does Oklahoma look the same as they did with Baker Mayfield, Colin Murray, and Rattler? Pretty much, they all make just enough mistakes to just lose enough games to not be in the national title race. Um, so I think Devonta Smith changed the game. I think. He's the reason that Alabama's in a good spot. They are with, the, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but if they get Waddle back, I don't think uh, Ohio State stands a, stands a chance. Uh, if they don't get Waddle back, I think Alabama can still beat him. But um, Devonta Smith is a huge reason for that. Dude's wide open every single play. Yeah, it. I feel bad for Najee Harris because obviously, and we saw it in the semifinal, the dude can do some like amazing things. Uh, for those who missed it, he just... I, I keep using the word levitate. I probably need to find a different verb, but he just flies, vaults, whatever you want to say, over these guys and just goes down the sideline like it's nothing. I, I, I am blown away by his athleticism, but as far as so, record-breaking, yeah, Devontae Smith has broken pretty much all the receiving records for Alabama. Sorry, go ahead, Andrew. What were you saying? I was going to say, it's interesting what Artem talked about because it's the same argument that was made when Mike Leach was at Texas Tech and before everyone did it. You know, he had quarterbacks thrown for four and 5,000 yards every year. Graham Harrell, Kingsbury, all these guys that didn't even sniff the Heisman Trophy but put up on godly numbers and it's kind of interesting that Artem makes that comment because it seems like that also shows how much the name on the front of your jersey really matters for some of these awards well and that's something we've talked about in the past too it's no longer a who's the best athlete in the game it's who's the best athlete on the best team because I was thinking back when you mentioned that I was like why hasn't Crabtree because didn't he have that ridiculous year with Texas Tech where he like put up some kind of ridiculous receiving yards? or I, I don't remember. Well, and so there used to be a tradition where if you had a running back who ran for 2,000 yards, they would almost always win the Heisman. But the past couple um, that have done it um, haven't even come close. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think there's a, a luck factor there too, right? Uh, with with some of these, kind of like what you're saying, if, if you got the name on the jersey, it says Alabama on there, you're going to be all over television, everybody's going to be watching you. If you're the kid at, uh, what's his name, the Cincinnati quarterback, Ritter? Yeah. Uh, doing some crazy stuff, right? But nobody's watching Cincinnati every day, so by the time everybody knows what his name is, it's the end of the season, and the dude's getting drafted, because he's not staying an extra yeah. season. Or, or Ritter won't, actually, because he's a redshirt freshman. Uh, so we'll actually maybe be talking about him for the Heisman next year, but a lot of these are schools that everybody watches. They're on the, the front of the thing, whereas before it was like, like when RG3 won it, although uh, it, my, uh, <laughs> my memory... Uh, it reminds me that uh, we crushed him twice, and he didn't look like a Heisman-winning quarterback in those days. Uh, he did really great, and you know Baylor wasn't 
that big of a school, so he caught some people's eye. And he, it takes years sometimes for some of these kids. By the time that they're on, you know, they're on the list, they're they're gone. They're going to draft. And well, I mean, that's, and that's what's really fascinating is is you've got all of these records that were put together in four years by a lot of kids that I'm not sure if we'll ever see broken. Well, and to Artem's point, you're also talking about in today's society, you kind of have to make a pitch. You have to make a uh, propose, like yeah. you you have to set up like advertisements or make a run. I forget what the, it's a campaign. Like it's not just you show up and you play really well. You have to like put out videos and hype yourself up and do all this stuff online. And some of these guys don't know where they're going to be and if it's worth the time to do that and balance out schoolwork. I mean, you look at Zach Wilson, and there was a point who was the BYU quarterback, and he's actually still going to be a pretty high draft pick, but there was a point where, you know, he could have made an argument, like right up to the end of the season, where it's like, hey, this guy could be a Heisman candidate. Do I need to make a campaign? But then, boom, he... He goes it's and loses. Harder, I think. Sorry, I think it's actually harder to to make that statement, especially in Zach Wilson's case, when you're blowing schools out. Kind of to Andrew's point, you know, if you're the quarterback and you're throwing for five thousand yards and your team's winning a couple touchdowns every game, you don't you almost don't look as good. It's it's almost it's like it's a portfolio, like you're saying, right? It's a resume. They want to see you struggle and then be good. They want to see your team struggle and then you come out and dominate. Uh, and you really don't have to do that if you're playing for one of these blue chip schools. Well, and, yeah, the doing it for you. and then it becomes kind of a moot point, especially in Zach Wilson's case, because they went to Coastal Carolina and then he lost. And it's like if he had decided to promote himself throughout that entire period, it, it would have just been a total waste of time. Like it's it sucks. Um, and you know, there's a million guys like that. I think there was. Andrew knows his name. I don't know off the top of my head. A few years back, there was a Navy quarterback who was putting up just ridiculous yards on the ground. Yeah, and he was a fantastic candidate, but he's with the Navy. He's not going to advertise himself. That's not that's not something yeah. that you can do. So, um, like, I, I there's it's become politicking i guess for and lack of a better term is they have to give it out every year right if you had to like get if, if you didn't give the award out then like in my opinion marcus Mariota wasn't a heisman winning quarterback there just wasn't anybody better than him that year they had to give it to somebody uh james winston he didn't really look heisman winning he just looked like a dude who was doing really well in that system johnny football heisman winner not even just because i'm an a&m fan derrick henry like some, lamar jackson heisman winner some of these names just pop. Other names are like, yeah, we have to give it to somebody this year. Well, and, and the Heisman's interesting too because, like, you look at and there's always been a bias, in my opinion, for for certain schools and certain. It's the fact that Devontae Smith's win gives Alabama three Heisman winners. That ties them with Auburn. Like, how does Alabama, arguably the premier program in the history of college football, only have three Heisman winners? Oh. And this year they had three candidates, and they snubbed. <laughs> well, the your best point, one. I your think point, he should have been in. Matt Jones should have been out. Well, and I think it's also wide open guys. I don't understand why Kyle Trask is on there. Well, I think it's also a general statement to. I think Bama, especially under, you know, uh, Bear Bryant, was more 
It's a team game. Team, 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 team. Blah, 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 blah. And, I mean, I did hear a recommendation by, I think, a color commentator. I don't remember which one, but a color commentator at, on one of Bama's games where it's like, why doesn't Bama's O-line just win the fucking Heisman? <laughs> yeah, like, why, why can't you give it to something like, again, like the fact that, like, Ndamukong Sua didn't win it or some of these just generational players on defense. Deion Sanders didn't win it. Because you know, yeah. Charles Woodson's the only predominantly defensive player to ever won it. And he did a lot of that, I think, because of his return game. But I mean, it it comes back to you gotta you gotta sell it, and you gotta kind of have that advertisement. I I think there's there's a lot to think about when it comes to the Heisman. Um, but I remember Manziel's year, and I thought we started advertising him for like I remember marketing for it that A and M was putting out, and I was like, oh, dude, there's tons of marketing every year. This might be too late. Is what I thought at the time. I mean, I remember, I think it was when Joey Harrington was in Oregon, they put up, like, a massive billboard in New York. Yeah, I mean, that's, but that's what you gotta do to hype up your guy. I mean. And you send, like, trinkets and stuff to Heisman voters. Wait, who who decides who the Heisman voters are? I feel like that's uh, a whole other. It's, it's, alright, so, that's I a, think it's, like, members of the Downtown Athletic Club, uh, all former Heisman winners get a vote. I have no idea if Archie Griffin gets two. Um, but and I I think that's it. I, or, and I, there, I think there's some sports writers um, involved as well. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, but Dan I do Arlo- know. Did Dan Orlovsky win the Heisman? He yeah, no. he's a, he had a vote supposedly. What? Why does he have a vote? Maybe we should. Okay, so there there are eight. Yeah, there's maybe another topic: Heisman Trophy voters and what the crap. Oh my gosh. Um anyway, I don't know. There's a whole lot to discuss about this. And this this probably needs to be another episode. So we're talking about Nebraska leaving the Big Twelve <laughs> Nebraska leaving the Big Twelve. Uh God. The coaches between college and and uh pros. I can't keep track. We got so many extra episodes we gotta drop. Why does Texas suck? <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to have to make a list, and I'll get back to y'all. But uh, we're hitting the one-hour, ten-minute mark, so I think it's about time to wrap it up. Um, before we go, Artem, do you have anything else you want to add about the season before the final game gets played? You know, honestly, I think the best case for all of college football will be for Ohio State to lose. That's my personal opinion, I think. Uh, that will be COVID justice, in my uh, opinion. COVID. I think that them winning after breaking every rule, playing the least amount of games, uh, will just get too many people pissed off. If Alabama wins, everybody will be happy except Ohio State fans because they'll be like, well, that's what they fucking deserved for breaking all those rules, getting COVID, and all the other crap they pulled. Um, you know, good luck to Ohio State. I hope. I really hope it's a good game. Um, I think it'll be within one score. I think they will keep it closed. They're a good team. Um, like I said, uh, nothing against them. Just I, I don't think they put enough game, enough games on film for it to be a fair matchup. I think Alabama's uh, um, still got the advantage, having said that, and I, I think they'll they'll pull up. They're going to get another one. All right. Andrew, any thoughts on the season that was? I'm just glad we had it. 
you know, it, it, I think it allowed and created some level of normalcy. Um, also, I just want to giant fuck you to the Big Ten. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, they got on their high horse. Oh, we're not going to play this year. And, you know, we're the Big Ten. Blah, 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 blah. And then the ACC and the SEC are like, no, fuck you. And then they're like, well, actually, we are going to play. And they're like, well, shit, we're going to lose millions of dollars and other stuff. And shit, 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 shit. Well, let's, uh, let's play six games. But if you don't play... Three of those games can't make championship. Oh, fuck. Ohio State's not going to make championship. We better make it so they can make championship. Yeah, you know. It's... Indiana got jobbed. I like how... And again, and again, the Pac-12 went on like it normally does. Nobody noticed. I like how you did... You, this has taken all of your attention off of how bad Georgia Tech was on the year. <laughs> um, You know... <laughs> I've gotten to the point that I just I don't even get mad anymore. Um, I I know my thoughts and I have my opinions on coaches, and I think coaches should get five years. Um, so we got three more. Five? Jesus! I think that they should get a full cycle of recruiting classes to where every player in the building, mostly, is a guy that they recruited. We gave someone six years, so you guys were shitting on us for firing that guy, but... I, I, I will be fair. That is where I think I have been wrong, because he is... I mean, he's not at Arizona anymore. He is bad. But yeah, even, that, uh, then, even then, he was doing good, and it showed that, hey, like by, by the end of what we saw with someone in year five and six, to your point, is exactly what we saw at Arizona, just with worse talent. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing, too, is... Is, and I, I say five years, but obviously if a coach, and I'm going to question, I mean, I question Jeff Collins pretty much regularly, but if there's no growth, I think that you can you can jettison early, you know, and or if you get worse, you know, if a coach leaves for another job having won eight, nine, ten games, and then you come in and win two, uh, wait, hold on now, you know, like Ellis Johnson at Southern Miss, where Larry Fedora left after winning ten games, Ellis Johnson came in and didn't win a single game. Okay, maybe there's some issues. Yeah, a little bit. But what are you going to do? All right. Well, I think until we get back to our – we're going to save the rest of those crazy topics for another time. Uh, that will wrap us up for the night. Uh, thanks, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, be sure to watch the national championship game. It's going to be this – Next Monday, January 11th, 2021, for those of you listening in the far future. Um, and everybody, to everybody, stay safe and uh, hope you had a happy new year. Good night, everybody. Say good night, everybody. Say good night, guys. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.